What's up, everybody? This is the Console Crusade Podcast. Here we talk gaming news, retro games, and never Peter Molyneux's next video game. My name is EJ Olson. Joining me today to talk the games we played in 2016 is my man Nick Durheim. What's up, dude? Hey, man. Not much. You know, just been thinking about a lot of the games that I played last year. I didn't think I'd played much throughout throughout the year itself, but it turns out after going through and checking... I've actually played a pretty sizable amount, for me, I think. Well, it sounds like it. You sounded pretty exasperated there. <sighs> I played too many games. And I, I just get so overwhelmed sometimes, you know. With all the recreational video game playing you've been doing? Yeah, man. You know what it's like. Think about your backlog. <laughs> hey, watch it! Don't say that terrible word around me. <laughs> well, anyway, we both, we both played a lot of games. 2016 was a, a weird year for me. In the sense that I think I played more video games this year than I have ever played in any one year in my entire life. But I probably beat the fewest I've ever beaten. Probably. Yeah, I think I've beat, on my list at least, I've beaten maybe half of them. Probably more than that if I actually think about it. But a lot of the games I put a lot of time into without beating. In one case, it's a game you can't beat, so I'm not too worried about about that so this is not going to be our top list of 2016 our our favorite this or that you know most of the games i played didn't even come out in 2016 how many of them did uh whoa two two games that i beat came out in 2016 uh for me i've got three or four i believe i also forgot one yeah so this is just what we played what we think about them i played several other games that i didn't beat that i I do want to touch on Uh, i'm gonna start off by kind of going through the list of some of the notable games that i played you know i I have quite the range here i played some retro stuff i'm looking at this list it's it's pretty good man things from from halo to like three or four humongous entertainment games (laughs) right we're gonna we're gonna do that pod dedicated to humongous entertainment games we're gonna do it yeah there's secretly the best games from our childhood I'm gonna make you play all of them, dude. We just need to. We need. We can pull so many clips from those games too. Those sound files, man. They, they had some great sound effects in those games. Fatty Bear, Freddy Fish, Pajama Sam, Backyard Baseball. Bat, dude. The backyard games are freaking classic, dude. Uh, so I beat a couple of those. I beat Putt Putt Travels Through Time. Great, great game. You go <laughs> to the future. You go to the past. You go everywhere. Putt Putt. That's the uh, that's the car, right? Putt Putt. Yeah, little purple car, and he's got his dog Pep. Can a car own a dog? What's the hierarchy on? On things owning other things. Well, the conspiracy theory is that the dog actually owns the car. Oh my god. Um, he didn't get his driver's license though, so keep that on the down low. Uh, I, I started the year off, so I'm not going to actually go through this entire list here. But I did. I started January, first thing I did, I was coming off of Force Awakens hype. First thing I did was I got up into that Star Wars Force Unleashed. Alright? So I'm playing the PC version, which is notoriously unoptimized. Well, luckily the PC community, the modding community, they fixed it. I, I played it at 60 frames a second, got some custom anti-aliasing, things like that. Made it look like it came out, you know, somewhat recently. I played that on PC, like I said, but with a controller, alright? Don't worry, you fellow console nerds, alright? I'm not going behind your back here, I assure you. So, so what kind of game is Force Unleashed? Because... I don't know if you know this, but besides Battlefront, I don't think I've ever played any Star Wars games, and I know they span oh, quite a bit of different genres. Nick. So is is Force Unleashed is that one of the like the third person like kind of action games? Yeah. 
You play as you play as a Star Killer, right? Isn't he in a one of the Soul Calibur games? I have no. I've never played Soul Soul Calibur. I swear to God, I think he actually is. Uh, I remember playing. Um, I can't remember which one. It was uh, on Andrew's like PS4, I think, and it had Vader and Yoda and Star Killer. I think as playable characters. Maybe not Yoda, but definitely Vader. So this is like the this is the old. It's obviously not canon. And it was part of Lucasfilm's old, weird, tiered canon system in the Star Wars universe. Uh, but it's a story of how Darth Vader trains his apprentice, and his apprentice becomes integral to the formation of the Rebel Alliance. So it's interesting story-wise. It's nothing right home about as far as the gameplay goes. Graphically, I mean, it's, it's a dated game. It was 360 era, right? Yeah, 360, uh, PS3. Came out on Wii and PS2. Didn't it have, like, specific... Wii specific kind of uh, lightsaber kind of movements, or I imagine it did. I I had to, right? Given the Wii's gimmick, but um, this game I played it because this was like the closest I could get to like just really feeling like a fucking Jedi. I was coming off the Star Wars hype, and I wanted to hop in and start cutting things up with lightsaber and force choking people. And it totally scratched the itch. I played that one, and then I immediately played the sequel, which is better in every way. It is such a great game. But it's like three hours long. Like they just, I don't know if they run out of money when they were developing this game. Did it feel like it was not done and they just sort of put it out or? Oh, totally. It just ended. You go to like three planets. Hmm. I wonder if that was like a, a rights, not a rights thing, but because when did that come out? I don't know what year it came out. And then when did Disney buy Lucas, like the, the rights for Star Wars? Oh, shit. No, because lucas sold lucasfilm to disney in 2013 2013 okay this came out before i just i was just wondering if that had like any anything to do with that as like a, a reasoning to to why they stopped production if it sounds like it, it was unfinished or whatever i mean they both games got mediocre reviews and they're not they're not amazing games but as far as the star wars experience this is probably the best jedi experience you know obviously they're games like kotor or whatever but those are those are different games yeah, that's how I started off my year. I beat both of those. I went into the year thinking, man, I'm going to kill my backlog this year. I'm going to kill it. Start with a couple of easy, couple of gimmies. Star Wars, get me hyped. Yeah, that's, no, that's not what happened. What, what did you start the year off with? I think, actually, Shovel Knight was the first game that I actually played this year. Is it Shovel Knight or Risk of Rain? But I know you played Shovel Knight when it came out on Wii U and PC. Is that right? I played it, dude. I own that game. I think on four platforms. Yeah, I played it initially on Wii U. But you played it the most on Wii U. So I played Shovel Knight on PC. I think I got it on a sale, and everyone has like said their bit on Shovel Knight. But so I knew I was gonna like it. I thought it was a it was a, it was a definitely a fun game. Uh, Risk of Rain, I think, took me by surprise a little bit more. I don't know if I've shown you that game. That's a that's a Steam indie title. I think it came out either last year or the year before. This is the Console Crusade, Nick. All these PC games. I'm sorry. It was supposed to come out on Vita, but I think that's kind of canned. More than likely. Poor old Vita owners. Yeah, those poor guys stuck on the island. But Risk of Rain was a cool little 2D roguelite, which means that each session you play is kind of randomized and you get different items and upgrade your character throughout kind of procedurally generated, mostly just predetermined maps, and you go through different areas and killing enemies, and you can choose different characters that have different attack loadouts. And you're running around picking up chests, getting cool upgrades. Like, oh, my gun now shoots through enemies. So it's a it's a cool game to like pick up and play for a couple hours. And I don't know, I really like the music too. The music is sick. I want to buy that soundtrack actually. 
I have to check it out. It's like on my my Steam wish list. I'm like, okay, one of these days I'll I'll check it out. But definitely get it on sale. It's it's a game that goes on sale fairly frequently, actually. So I'm pretty sure I picked it up for like three or four dollars. Like, oh shit, okay. Def- and I've put I think a hundred hours into it, so I think I've got my money's worth from it. You went ham on that a hundred hours. It's not a game I could play for a hundred hours. It feels so good. It's just it, it scratches that itch of like kind of a Mega Man ish control scheme, the way you're moving around and running and jumping, run and jump and shoot man. And uh I don't know, just the the gameplay loop just really hooked me, really grabbed me and I don't know. I could I I could pop that game open right now and play for a couple hours. Easy. Dude, you're you're a mechanics guy. That's why you're such a fan of uh and I'm sure we'll get to this, uh Dark Souls. Yeah, that was probably the next game on my on my list. I'll talk about. Yeah, I'm 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 more of a narrative guy for the most part, not always. So, Risk of Rain is something I'll check out, but based on what I've seen, we'll see if it resonates with me. It might be a little bit too frustrating for you because it is like sometimes you'll start a session and get completely screwed by RNG, and then that's kind of a feels bad kind of thing. But I think it's got a quick enough start up and 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 like shut down that it's easy enough to restart and hopefully do better that time is it similar to something like rogue legacy in that respect yes i mean that's a game i put many many hours into this year yeah rogue legacy is a little bit more uh each run you are gaining things that you then build your character up with whereas this is strictly per session like you unlock you unlock different items that you can get from chests but beyond that it's not really like a progression kind of system see that's what i liked about a game like rogue legacy is there's this immediate sense of progression because you go in there and you get your ass killed right away but you come out of there and whatever gold you got you got to spend initially in that skill tree and it's like hey i'm gonna be that much better when i go back in here there was something really satisfying about that and i don't think a game like risk of rain may necessarily satiate that desire in me you know yeah i think they're 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 similar uh mechanically but the systems are a little bit different. Rogue Legacy, that's, I know that's on your list. Yeah, no, I, I played a lot of that this year, but I haven't. I didn't beat it. I think I beat the first three bosses, and I've, I have reached the fourth boss, the one uh, in the underworld or whatever. Right, the big slime guy? Yeah. So Rogue Legacy is, if you don't know, a roguelike platforming hack-and-slash amalgamation. Uh, one, one of the my favorite parts about the game is, is each time you die, you, you have these, these offspring in your air, uh, and each of you will have a a different genetic trait. Those are really funny. I really like all those, like glaucoma and everything's kind of dark. Yeah, it's a really interesting mechanic, and it it, make, it ensures that each run through the castle is going to be varied enough and keep it interesting enough. It also can make it overwhelmingly difficult, so that's you know can be frustrating. But that was actually one of the first games that I played on Vita when I bought that this year. I think I flagged that on PS Plus two years ago, maybe. Yeah, it sounds like a definitely a good game to play on Vita just because the way the controls are, it's very minimal. And that was a great pick-up-and-play game. You go in, you do a couple of runs, spend some gold, shut her off for the night, you know? But anyway, that's some of the more modern stuff. Uh, I did play a lot of retro games this last year, though. I didn't beat a lot of them, uh, but when I did beat, well, my buddy actually beat, well, I sat next to him, was Crash Bandicoot Cortex Strikes Back. Still counts. I mean, watching someone beat that game is about as hard as beating it yourself, probably. Uh, just about. And we, we took turns. We'd switch off every death, every level, whatever. And we beat it in a night. You know, it, it was nice to kind of go back to that. It had to have been close to the announcement of the Crash Bandicoot remasters or re-releases. Right. That was E3, wasn't it? 
Dude, it all blurs together, dude. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was E3, and then it was playable at uh, PSX. E3, I think, was July, August. Okay. It's summer. It's all summer. Okay. So it was somewhere around then, and yeah, we sat down, and we got hyped up and, and played it. People say the controls don't hold up as well. Dude, maybe it's just because I spent so much time with that game as a kid, but it felt so good. The little slide dash you do, the slide dash jump to get around, it felt good. Like, the camera's wonky still, but as far as, like, 3D platformers go, like, that... It was so satisfying, and I'm really excited to play the remakes. And that uh, utilized, you could use the analog stick for that game then? I believe you could, yeah, but I don't think we did. Very few PS1 games that I'll use the stick on. It just it feels so unnatural, because most of those games, they weren't designed with analog sticks in mind. Right, just had the 8-axis kind of motion. Yeah, so... Did that game have more traditional platforming than the first one? The first one seemed like there was a lot of the uh, forward-backward kind of stuff. I mean, it's more or less the same game as the first one. You know, that weird front-to-back, running back and forth, kind of a wonky camera angle. But there are plenty of levels that are a classic side-scrolling experience. And a lot of the boss battles are actually this top-down, sort of weird 3D thing going on. And then the last level is like a shooter. So the game kind of didn't know what it wanted to be in some aspects. Either that or they were just trying to keep the, the formula varied so you didn't get bored. Uh, but I think they're great games, and I really hope that they hold up once they're put into a modern skin. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could, because from what I've heard, the mechanically, the way the physics works and everything, it seems like they were pretty faithful in uh, keeping it feeling the same. You know, the jumps and the, the the movement. Right. It's such a weird game, too. I'm I'm glad. I hope it does well. It'd be really cool. Like We got the, um, not the Jack and Dexter, but we got the Ratchet and Clank sequel this year. Or reboot. So that would be really cool to get a new Crash game. Right. Maybe that'll lead into a new Spyro game. Who fucking knows? Maybe that could also be... Uh, it might be difficult for them to secure the rights for Spyro, though. Because that kind of got lost in the shuffle. Oh, that franchise hasn't been good since the third Spyro game on PS1. That was a long time ago. I haven't played really any of them. I think I played like a Game Boy Advance Ugh, game once. So bad. Like a GameCube version. I don't know. Spyro... It, that was a weird yeah. thing. What's next on your list? What else did you spend some a sizable amount of time with this year? Well, like I mentioned uh, before, I picked up Dark Souls 3. That was actually one of the only games I've ever bought the day it actually came out. And that was in April. And I think based on my mother's Steam like analytics, I think I've put 150 hours into that game. God. Because that game has like endless replay value for me personally. Just with the different variations you can choose to build your character up and exploring different loadouts and different weapons with different, you know, movesets. And it's a game that rewards you remembering how to fight individual enemies and you have different approaches based on your different classes that you've chosen. It's a, it's a game that clicked with me immediately. And I've never played a Souls game before this one either. Like I've watched uh, roommates play Bloodborne. And I've heard, you know, people, you know, speak fondly about the Souls games in general. When I heard all that, I was like, you know, I, w- I would play Bloodborne, but I don't have a PS4. So I would just be playing it on rent, essentially. So Dark Souls 3 came out on PC, and I just built my PC. And I was ready to, you know, put it through its paces with a game that was actually new. So I bought that day of, and I think I put three hours into it the night it came out just going through that first little beginning tutorial area and getting used to the attacks and the shield on the on the trigger and the bumpers on my 360 controller uh it felt kind of foreign at first you know you're used to face buttons interacting with everything 
but by the time I beat that first boss, I, it just it clicked. It made so much sense. And that's probably the most rewarding game I've played in 2016. I wish I could get into it the way that you, you're you describing this, because I tried to. Remember, we sat here on Skype one day, and I set up uh, Dark Souls 1, got it all modded out, and I just... I got up through that first part and beat the first boss, and I was like, man, like the combat feels feels good in some respects, but the controls felt really dated. It just was hard for me to grasp. And, I mean, I'm, I almost beat Bloodborne. Uh, I mean, I'll grant that I was doing a co-op run-through with a couple of our friends, but I don't know. It, it, the combat felt good, but kind of that satisfying aspect of figuring out these bosses and, and these little nuances and really... I, I, I missed out on that because I was playing with seasoned veterans, and it just it felt just too obtuse. I don't think it was too complicated in general, but for me, you know, I'm used to The Witcher or Skyrim, and these are obviously very, very different games. Right, and I think, actually, if you could play Dark Souls 3, I think you would uh, kind of take to that a little bit more, just because the way the world design is, it's a little bit more linear. It's not necessarily, like, hand-holdy and say, oh, you're just moving forward the entire time, but... The, the way that Dark Souls 1 kind of spirals into itself, it's a little bit less of that, like a setting-wise. but And it's a little bit more forgiving as far as attacks, and like you're not locked in animations as heavily. But that was one thing I really liked uh, for the Souls games in general, is that the, the attack animations and like frame data is important to the level of, say, like a fighting game. That just felt so good to me. It was uh, beautiful. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, the Dark Souls series has this this deep, complex, satisfying combat system. Uh, I played Assassin's Creed Rogue. <laughs> Not a deep game. Very repetitive. Which one is that? After they stopped numbering them, they all kind of blurred together for me. Which, uh, which system did Rogue first come out on? Rogue was a 360 exclusive. Came out uh, around the same time um, as... Uh, you're right, they, they blur together. What came out? I don't know. What were the last three? Syndicate? Was that Ezio? <laughs> no, no. So Rogue finishes the um, Kenway trilogy. Assassin's Creed 3, we have Connor, son of, of Haytham, who was the son of Edward. Yeah, Black Flag, right? I, I started playing that game the other day, actually, again. Uh, I really love it. I love him as a character. And I love Assassin's Creed 4. I love everything about it. What's the setting for Rogue? So Rogue, you're like in the, I want to say the North Atlantic or something? I want to say. Honestly, I don't even fucking remember now. The colonial kind of stuff? No. Oh, my God. Why am I struggling so hard to remember? This is how forgettable the game was. I beat it. You're the one who played it. <laughs> yeah, but it was so it was so forgettable. Like, the gameplay was, you know, as, as Assassin's Creed as it has ever been, right? Kind of copy-paste. Once they annualize that game, it's hard to make huge leaps and bounds <laughs> as far as, like, gameplay. But it brought back the naval combat... Which was one of the huge things for me in, in Black Flag that I really, really enjoyed. It kind of flipped the the franchise cliche on its head where instead of becoming an assassin, you are an assassin and you turn on them. They're searching, I can't remember what it is, but they're searching for something, some mystical object or some sort of power, and they destroy an entire city. And the character Shay sees this and is like blown away that you know, he says, Assassins, you're just like the Templars, except... So so the Assassins are trying to overthrow the Templars? I've literally never played an Assassin's Creed game. So the <laughs> Assassin's Creed, we don't need to go down this too far. It's the Templars versus the Assassins, and, and we're lead, led to believe that the Templars are evil. They want to subjugate 
everybody, you know, and, and, and rule the world, which isn't necessarily wrong, but they want order. They want peace. They want, they just want to do it through their own means and methods, which the assassins are like, we're all about freedom and, you know, letting people forge their own destinies, essentially. And sneaking around murdering people. Only the bad guys, though, quote unquote. Uh, but he, Shay realizes the assassins are, are worse than the Templars and he switches sides. And so that's, it was interesting. I enjoyed it while I played it, but like I said, it was so forgettable. I, I mean, I immediately, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm struggling to remember anything about that game. Well, that's fine. I mean, those Assassin's Creed games are kind of, kind of like popcorn, I guess for you. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I haven't, I've only beaten, I beat three. It was whatever. I love four, but what do you got next for me, man? After, you know, the the pain and suffering I got through playing Dark Souls, it's always nice to kind of chill out and relax and play some Twilight Princess, which uh, Zelda games are not difficult by any means, really. And I actually had never beaten on... uh, I played a little bit on GameCube. When I heard that they were releasing this as a remake and after playing, you know, Wind Waker, I thought this would be a great time to actually get back and try and play this game all the way through. That's a game that I started this year. I I definitely pre-ordered that... The Amiibo, you know, package, thinking it was going to sell out quick. Uh, I think that's the only way they sell that game is with the Wolf Link. I saw, I saw it without it, too, but it was like 10 bucks cheaper, and I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll pay 10 bucks for an Amiibo. It's a cool Amiibo. Yeah, and it's going to have functionality with uh, the next Zelda game, which is, I'll be using that, maybe. I definitely think probably. But yeah, Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess, I frequently see kind of the unsung heroes of Zelda games. People don't really think of it fondly especially since like there was a huge backlash after wind waker came out people were not happy with the the art style and not being able to play as an adult link you're playing as like kind of a kitty cartoony link and then probably princess is the exact opposite of that you know you're playing the more adult quote-unquote link throughout the entire story it's more dark and foreboding there's actually this the story itself is not really like a zelda story in general it's more like it's got more conventional Japanese storyline to it, almost. Like, the characterization and the whole... Just Midna as a character, and... Uh, what's that? Zant? The whole Zant thing was really kind of, like, anime-esque, in a way. And I thought that was interesting. I liked I liked it to an extent, but I'm glad that that's not really the the, the way they've been going with Zelda games since then. Uh, how far did you get? Uh, oh, not very far at all. I got into that first dungeon and then never went back to it. I do that a lot. I start games. I move on to the next game. I'm like, oh, I'll come back to this next week. Nope, never do. It was definitely doable. I think I beat it in maybe 16, 20 hours. Yeah, I probably should have stuck with it, but it just it was so boring to me, you know? And that the fact that it didn't feel like a Zelda game and you're traversing that world and it's just so drab and dull and... It was muddy and brown. It just, it didn't pop like, like prior Zelda worlds have, and they're, where they're vibrant and they feel alive. You know. Yeah, I was I was about to say that even like uh, Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time, those are pretty dark games, like palette wise. But I do know what you're saying with Twilight Princess being kind of brown, because that's a sign of the times with the, the late Xbox, early 360 era. That was a very big thing with you know just going going ham on the bloom, and the whole like game kind of looking muddy. It just it just didn't. It didn't look like a Zelda game to me, and I was playing it, and the, the whole wolf transformation, I was like, this doesn't feel like a Zelda game. It doesn't control like a Zelda. I'm like, this is weird. I just put it away, and maybe I'll go back to it, you know, before Breath of the Wild. We'll see. 
yeah, a lot of people I know were not exactly happy with the Wolf Link parts. I wasn't too bothered by it. They they shortened it a little bit with the the remake, but uh, a lot of people thought, oh, a Wolf Link is kind of like a punishment between dungeons. Like, oh, I got to do this, you know, inconvenient task, you know, dig up these weird bugs. But I wasn't I wasn't too bothered by it. And the the mechanics they introduced in the dungeons, like the magnet boots, I thought that there was some really cool stuff uh, there. And the Gale boomerang had some fun little puzzles with that. So the dungeons themselves, I thought were were good Zelda dungeons. It was just really weird seeing the the story and the way they incorporated that. But I, I enjoyed it altogether. Maybe I'll get to it. I probably won't. I'm in the middle of so many games right now. I'm in the middle of oh god. I'm in the middle of Mother Three right now. I'm in the middle of Titanfall right now. I've started a million other games that I haven't gone back to and beaten. You should crank through Titanfall. That's that seems like a shorter game. Yeah, I've been I've been putting in about an hour every night. I'm really satisfied with that game so far. I don't play a lot of shooters, and when I do, I wait for the reviews to roll in. I want to play like a good shooter, something worth my time. I guess the consensus is so far is that the Infinite Warfare campaign is is better than Titanfall's, which makes me excited to play that because I think Titanfall's campaign has been just fucking awesome so far. Maybe it's because I don't play a lot of shooters, but I think it's exceptional. I've heard mixed uh, things on both of those. It really just depends on who you're listening to, but I've I've heard good things about really all the big three, you know, shooters this year. Uh, as far as like Battlefield and Call of Duty and Titanfall having really good campaigns. Have you pl- have you played any of the multiplayer for Titanfall? No, not even a little bit. And that's the thing is I don't play a lot of multiplayer. I mean, really in any game. You know, I, I played Overwatch this summer for like a week or two. And I said, okay, this is fun. This is really great for what it is, but I just it's not something I can just go back and play. Like our buddy Andrew has put in hundreds of hours into that game, and he just keeps going back to it and back to it. And that's something I wish I could do, but I just it I can't. Seems like a cool game to roll with a crew. I bought Overwatch on PC, and not only am I not good with mouse and keyboard shooter shooter controls, but I also have like nobody to play with. So it's been kind of tough for me to like get into it heavily. I un- I understand why people love it though. Another game that I spent a lot of time with, kind of in the same vein, uh, was Destiny. And so I know I just said I'm not a fan of online, you know, multiplayer shooters, but this was different. Not only was there tons to do outside of PvP, uh, like the raids. I mean, the raids were. That's why you play Destiny, right? Uh, but just being addicted to that grind, man. I'm, I'm an addict. I'm fiending. However, I did play some PvP, and this is one of the first times that I played a PvP shooter and was like, not crap. Yeah, that's a scary pool to jump into, like dipping your toe in and getting like wrecked in like a more traditional MMO. That can be really disheartening. Yeah, and so th- this was the first time I went into an FPS and was like, holy shit, I'm, I'm killing people. This never happens, ever. Yeah, and you regularly had people to play with too, right? I did. I had a good play group, and that's why I did my, my first raid. Uh, actually I might have done it at the end of 2015 Uh, but I got really into it at the beginning of the year doing the King's Fall Raid just oh man it was so much fun playing with a different group every night and getting in there and just trying to figure out the the group mechanics and just really great level design you know the mechanics in that game the gunplay is top notch so I did spend a lot of time with Destiny I'm excited for Destiny too we'll see I heard uh, some Destiny 2 rumors not too long ago, uh, getting delayed till quarter one, 2018, potentially. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we haven't seen anything about it, so that, that yeah, it that tracks. tracks. <laughs> hey. hey! I'm hoping for a PC release, though. I mean, yeah, I, I can't play shooters on online, man. It's just, 
mouse keyboard. But I mean, I, I'd play it with a, I'd play with a, a controller. I mean, doing the single player stuff, yeah. I just don't want to have to buy a console to to play Destiny. Like I wanted to play Destiny. I remember seeing it E three. What was that? Twenty eleven, and that was like you know I was kind of uh, separated from the whole game news and keeping track of stuff. But that was actually a game. I was like, that looks so tight. And it was Bungie, you know. So I was like, I, I trust these dudes. I've played the Halo games. I want to know what they're doing, you know, outside of that IP. And the gameplay looked real tight, and the the setting looked really cool. And I never got a chance to get into it like you did. Yeah. So I want to I want to be able to like hop in on that as it's coming out. You know, that game was really strange in the sense that like year one. It was so hyped, and it was like the most pre-ordered game or something of all time, initially. And people got it, and people wanted to love it, but they a lot of them couldn't. And the game was, I think, incomplete. Year two, when they did the Taken King expansion, it really changed a lot of the game's mechanics. It really refined some of the little nuances here and there, like upgrading the upgrade system works, the weapon system. Just really tweaked it and dialed it in even tighter. That's I, I played year one for like a week. And I was like, this, mm-hmm. this is fucking boring. Like, whatever. I came back for Taken King. I was just blown away. And then, obviously, put tons of time into that. Uh, and then, what, Rise of Iron came out. Um, and I, I regret spending $30 on it. Like, 15 maybe. Yeah. Like, it just it wasn't as uh, content-dense, you know, as Taken King. You know, I only did the raid once. So, that's part of, partly my fault. Not getting a play group together again and whatever. But, speaking of Bungie... I also beat the first Halo game this year. Yeah, what, 15 years after the fact? Right, yeah, I played the remaster on the Xbox One. Uh, I actually want your thoughts, because I was not the biggest fan. I don't think the gunplay mechanics hold up. The level design is really boring. And the story, I thought, was... is Everyone talks about the story being so great. I thought it wasn't as present as I wanted it to be. Not that it wasn't there, but I'm like, at the end of the game, I had to go look up and be like, what happened A through Z? So I can start the second game without, like, quite, you know, I just, so it was fine. It was a fine experience, but it wasn't good enough to make me go play the second or third or fourth one. I stopped. Well, I just think, I, I know for a fact that you don't pay attention during games. So you're super ADHD. Like, you're always flipping through your phone between in cutscenes and stuff. And, like, that's where the story is. What do you what do you expect a cutscene to be? I try not to. The cutscenes in Halo 2, the remade cutscenes for Halo 2 were amazing. The cinematics were, I, I was like, <sighs> that first part where they come in and the guy is on trial and and for letting Master Chief go and the and the rings got destroyed or whatever. Yeah, he's on he's on trial uh for that and I, I was I was like holy shit, I was on the edge of my seat. Yeah, I don't know what they've done with the the cinematics. I know they did, redid the cinematics for the anniversary edition of Combat Evolved that came out on 360, which I played through. But yeah, dude, I don't, I don't know how you cannot pick up what the story was in Halo. Like it's not hammered into you, but it's clear and present throughout the entire game. I mean, I got the gist of it. It's like, okay, I am Master Chief. Halo Ring's going to destroy the universe. I have to stop it. Oh, that little evil ghost guy got away at the end. Okay. The end. Not to mention, that last level is probably one of the worst experiences I've had in any video game. Dude, what are you talking about? That that chase scene on the Warhog is like the sickest ending to a, a video game I've ever played. Dude, you yo, we are we are at opposite ends here. That's crazy to me. Like you're just flying through, you're just running over grunts, and like the counters going down. And you're getting all this like voiceover stuff, and you and Cortana are just trying to book it to the to, to the Stingray. The mechanics are so bad. Controlling that Warhog going through all the little nooks and crannies, and you can go. It's multi tiered. You can go up to the top. 
middle you fall off you have to go up ramps it was so it was so janky it probably took me two hours to beat that last level just because of mechanics i just like i couldn't get the end in time it was so frustrating you know i guess i guess it it affects enjoyment of a game if you're just not good at video games. I'm not good at video games, but you have this nostalgia for it from back in the day. Like this game to me doesn't hold up in a way that like like I, I play I'm playing Titanfall and my first thought was like, Oh man, this is like if Halo was good. Like I know Halo was big because of the multiplayer and like how revolutionary it was and all these things. Like even Halo five came out and no one talked about it and it disappeared. Because I just don't think that game, that franchise has evolved. I guess ben, Bungie didn't do the newer games, but... Those guys from Bungie that started 343, but, dude, I don't know. Halo, I think it holds up. Like, I played the, the remaster for 360, and that game just felt so tight, and, like, the guns were interesting, and it really just... It set the framework for what shooters were supposed to be on consoles. Because before that, like, what did you have? You had, like, games like GoldenEye. Ugh. which were pivotal for their arenas and like introducing multiplayer shooters like that having a split screen that's that was the game that started that doesn't mean i want to play that game today Ugh. doesn't mean that but you can still go back and enjoy it i think personally i could pick up halo 2 right now and breach the game and love every moment of it but like without that nostalgia how am i separating my nostalgia like how would you do that uh, uh, you can't do that I'm not asking you to. I'm just saying you. it's impossible for you to have like an unbiased, untainted view of this game. And I think you're just a, you're a bitter old man, and you're like, this isn't good enough. Well, no. like It's like I go back and play a game like Spyro 2, which is one of my favorite games from my childhood. I adore it. And I played it as an adult, and I'm like, oh, this totally holds up. I don't know if you would think the same. I would argue that it does, and I would call you stupid and wrong if you disagreed with me, like everything else we talk about. But I feel like maybe you wouldn't feel the same way about it. <laughs> I also think that, objectively, Halo is better than Spyro 2. (laughs) I can't argue with that. Bit of a hot take there. (laughs) I'm sure we're going to get a lot of angry comments saying, No, dude, you're dumb. Spyro 2 better. (laughs) (laughs) Rip those rage, baby. No, I I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I'm just... with My nostalgia drives that, the way I feel about that game even now. I mean, there are some games I play that I'm like, Oh, this doesn't hold up, even though I loved them as a kid. But I feel like... Yeah, Halo. It was a really middling experience for me. I just okay. That was eight hours. I'm not gonna get back. I just have to I have to hit you to make you to make you learn. I mean, I think it was good just to have like some context, right? I mean, I played I played Halo multiplayer. I played lots of that in my day, but I, this is the first time I played the story. So I guess I should have prefaced that with we played a lot of Halo multiplayer back in the day. I remember playing it at your house when we were kids, playing with your brother, and then. Uh, when we graduated high school, we played a lot of Halo Reach multiplayer. Yep, I remember playing Reach. That's all we did. So, but this is the first time I went to the story. And maybe it would have been a little more fun if I was playing, like, if I co-opted with somebody. Oh, and dude, having a story game that you can play through with your homie, like, that was revolutionary for me, too. That's great. On principle alone, like, I'll buy any game. You show it to me and say you can co-opt the story with someone. I'll buy it. I don't care what it is. Like, that's so few and far between now. Developers aren't doing that. It immediately makes the game more fun because you've got the meta game of like messing with your friend or cooperating with each other. Oh God! Every every co op game I mean, that's the best part. Like you and me trying to play Shovel Knight, and I just kept killing you or messing with you or jumping on you or whatever. Jumping down, changing the screens, and one of the wooden screen would scroll up and down. Yeah, that ladder—that's my ladder. God, I hated it so much. <laughs> well, that's enough by Halo. 
What else you got for me, Big Daddy? I'm not. Don't. Uh, now you just completely threw up my train of thought by calling me Big Daddy. Thanks. Uh, another game I got on Wii U last year was uh, Yoshi's Woolly World. I didn't really play it. I didn't beat it. I just wanted to bring it up because it was a, a fun, enjoyable experience. A really cute game. All the Yoshi games are kind of, you know, Babby's first platformer kind of vibes. But uh, just the sound, the, the look, the style. It was just a, just a pleasant experience. Not really difficult necessarily to beat. But I think I had a bit of challenge in all its uh, collectibles. So I think it's got enough replay value that I could see myself in the future popping that in and trying to go through and pick up all the, the special yarns and unlocking the Yoshis. It was very satisfying. I, I started that this year as well. And yeah, it was, you know, I only played the first couple levels. I feel like that's a game that I'd enjoy a lot more playing with someone. Mm-hmm. Or I would enjoy a lot more as a handheld experience, you know, an hour before bed, you know? Yeah, I want to see how uh, the Poochie and Yoshi's Willy World actually plays uh, when that comes out on 3DS. Just because the Mario Maker game on 3DS, I guess, was not the most pleasant experience. Those were for pretty hefty reasons related to the online sharing. I I imagine the Yoshi's Willy World port is going to be fine. And it's something I might look into picking up if it ever goes on sale, you know? Mm -hmm. Or we can wait for the Switch version. Because you know, if it's a Nintendo first-party game and it came out on the Wii U, it's coming to Switch at some point. Uh, I mean, maybe that's a game we should play next time uh, Next time you're in town or next time I'm in town. Sit down. I, I can't imagine it's a long game. I actually put surprisingly... I maybe put like 8 to 10 hours into that game, and I think I'm in the third world. Were you trying to 100% it as you went? Not really. I don't think I replayed many levels. Like, it was just a lot of, you know, it's a, it's a game that you're not really rushing through so i was just like you know hanging out like i'd play a level put the controller down kind of browse through my phone not really a game that i was like actively you know i wasn't like sucked into the game those games are so hard for me to play and and not 100 percent. like i played super mario 3d world i got i got i triple start every level up until special world 2 that took me so long to do when it's like I know you played that game and you just kind of rushed through it. Not rushed through it, but you just enjoyed the level design and the music and just had a good time with it. I'm like so compelled. It's like it's like this OCD thing. Like I, I can't move on until I've gotten every collectible in this world. So I'm playing Yoshi. It was the same way, but it wasn't as fun to go back and replay the level and, and collect everything. So I just I dropped it. So yeah, my enjoyment of the game was not tied to the the things I, were, I was collecting. It was more just the the level design in general and the general, you know, the vibe I was getting from it. So I'm looking at my list here, and I'm trying to see what else is notable here. Anything else that you may have played? I mean, I put a lot of time into Rocket League. This, I, this was the year I, I really went from playing casually to playing nothing but competitive. Put about 200 hours into it this year. Uh, I haven't played it too much recently, but you and I, but we played a little bit together this year. Yeah, we played a little bit of that. I mean, we, there's a few games on my list that... Uh, we both played together, like, you know, you know, we played Rocket League, I would join you, You're, you were playing a lot more than I was, but like, you know, I picked up Animal Crossing when they did the, the Nintendo, what, Select? Yeah, Nintendo Selects. So, we both put a, a little bit of time into that game, and I was kind of catching up and getting back into the Animal Crossing, like, loop. Dude, you kind of went, you kind of went hard on that for like a week. Pretty much, like a few weeks, I was playing every day and trying to like, you know, farming bells, that kind of stuff. I tried to start a new town because I had a town that I had to put like all this time into, right? But I just felt weird coming back to it. I didn't know half my neighbors anymore. My, it was over. It was just fraught with weeds. And I was just like, what do I do? <laughs> I, I'm going to start a new one. But I had played so much of the game that I knew what the perfect map would look like. 
I needed like my my town square to be in a certain spot. I needed my store to be in a certain spot down by the dock, right? Because I'm farming those bells on the island, yo. Um, I, and I couldn't have my the upper part of town with the museum and stuff. I had to have it in the museum on the right. The museum was on the left. I couldn't do it. So it, that essentially gave me two maps to choose from every reset. So I did this for maybe a week. I probably a good 10 or 12 hours of just restarting the game. Just restarting until I found the perfect map. And I finally found it. And then much to your chagrin, it was, well, like November, they had the Animal Crossing Direct with the the Welcome Amiibo right. uh, update to Animal Crossing New Leaf. And what that did was you could restart your town and uh, Tom Nook would like reimburse you bells so that your new town, you'd have a kind of a head start monetarily. Right. Which would have been really nice because I would have nuked my original town. And I might still go back and do that. If you pick up the game again, I might go do that. Because Animal Crossing, New Leaf, I, that's a game I picked up in 15. That was the first Animal Crossing game I have ever played was New Leaf. Mm. And I really, I just got sucked into it. It just was so adorable. And the music is, oh, probably my, honestly, probably my third favorite video game soundtrack behind Wind Waker and Skyrim. It was just such a soothing experience, man. Everything you do in that game is, it, if you explain it to someone, it just, it doesn't make sense. But it works. Yeah. yeah, just that game in general is very relaxing, kind of. Let me just hang out in my village for a little bit, catch some bugs, chat with my neighbors, listen to a KK Slider show. I, I remember I picked that game up. I had just, like, severely sprained my ankle. I was immobile. I couldn't walk on the thing, and I'm too fat to use fucking crutches, so... <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, I just picked that game up, and I didn't move from my couch for, for over a week. Had my foot propped up and just just went crazy on that game. And that's why I developed such bad habits with like, Nick, you're doing it wrong. Quit shaking trees, bro. Get to the island. Farm, farm, farm. Like, like I just like playing, you know, once a day. Do your daily tasks. I'm like, no, dude, time travel, motherfucker. I play like 12 days each day, you know. Then I go back and do it again. It was a game that I wasn't obsessed with like you were. It was just like, this feels pretty good. And this was the first Animal Crossing that I really played. I played the GameCube one a little bit, but I didn't get caught by it. Uh, but this one I played and it felt like, felt like I was coming back to a game that I hadn't played in a long time, but it was like the first time I'd played it. So it gave me like reverse nostalgia. So that was, that was a pleasant experience. I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm hoping that they do a real Animal Crossing on uh, on Switch and not like Amiibo Festival. You, oh, don't, don't say those swear words around me, please. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so another game we both play. Pokemon Sun and Moon. Yeah, I, I had a, a pretty good time with that. The, I, hadn't, I didn't play Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. I played X and Y. I don't know, I enjoyed those. Pokemon as a series, I have a lot of nostalgia for, obviously. We both, you know, started out. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you really played that much Red or Blue, but like we both got it super into it, Gold and Silver. I don't know. It seems like each Pokemon, it's like going back to something familiar, obviously, but it's it's never really grabbed me as much as it did in like the original generations but i think that just might be you know i'm older so the loop isn't as new and enticing to me right but sun and moon i really enjoyed i thought the the implementation of the story was it was cute it was fun it's something that i want them to like explore more in the future make it more of a traditional uh jrpg right and have those characters and that you know through line you know give me a reason to keep going instead of just hanging out and catching everything so yeah, I want to see what they do with that in the future. Uh, as far as me getting caught up in this game, I didn't really feel the necessity to catch everything. I know you were, you know, going through each area and be like, I have to catch everything. I have to get every- I got to catch them all. 
But I, I never really felt that. That's the whole point. I was just like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna catch a Pokemon. Oh, I need a Rock Pokemon. Let's see what I got. Oh, this is kind of cool. And then I used that Pokemon. But most of the game, I was just using my starter, just sort of like rolling over everyone. It was not very difficult. I mean, Pokemon games aren't very difficult, but this seemed like a little bit more excessive in that the you get the experience share like what in the first area right and i just left that on i was just i'm just gonna kill everyone with my decidui whatever i think the experience the new experience share is is so revolutionary because i never played the game with the team never i played it with my freaking my uh squirtle or my charmander all the way through i you know i never trained a team and so now being able, be able to still handpick a team that i want to train up so when i go to the elite four i have a nice well-rounded team it was it's really great, and I don't care. It's Pokemon. It's easy mode, dude. Like you said earlier, you know, Babby's first RPG or whatever. Like, I know uh, our friend Max is so mad about how like easy this game is, but it's like, bro, it's Pokemon. Like, it's not made for you. It's not made for people who play RPGs necessarily. It's made to be Pokemon, right? And I understand where he's coming from. I think when you're younger and you have nothing but time, getting getting into that grind. And like that gameplay loop of like going through your team, being like, okay, my, I've got this level fourteen Pokemon, and then my main is level thirty two. I need to catch them up. Like that was really satisfying going through your areas and like battling trainers and you know going against wild Pokemon and leveling up and like repeating and repeating and repeating. That was a satisfying game loop. But now that we're older and we have a little bit more responsibilities, or we kind of get bored with the grind. Uh, it, it makes sense that developers will kind of push towards reducing that and the experience shares definitely a sign of that. And also catching Pokemon gives you experience. They should have done that so long ago. And when they introduced that, I was like, finally, Oh my God. There are a lot of things that they, they've done the last two generations to, to really improve on the Pokemon formula. I think there were some hits and misses in Pokemon sun and moon. I, some things I'm, I don't like getting rid of, rid of traditional gyms. Because now instead of gyms, you have these trials, and the trials don't always involve fighting another Pokemon or, or another trainer's Pokemon. Sometimes they're like these weird like puzzles, or like I, I didn't like that very much. I was pretty fine with that. I, I, I thought it fit really well into the theme of the of the story and the setting. And I think gyms are just kind of antiquated anyway. Like it's cool thematically, but I don't know if it's necessary in each storyline. <sighs> I, okay, I don't disagree with that, but I like going through, and especially the the later games where. The, the gyms, they had like really elaborate puzzles sometimes, and they were really enjoyable to see each each gym's theme and whatever puzzles you have to do to get to the gym leader. And, it, I mean, the trials were essentially the same thing. They were just easier and, I think, more boring. Like, there's one you, you're, like, running around the grass looking for some hidden objects, and then you get a badge, and it's like, ugh, I just wasted an hour. This was not satisfying. I think that just speaks more towards the level, like the the puzzles just weren't very good. Not necessarily that they weren't real gems. There's probably probably a little bit of both. I agree with you that having that story that carries you through to the end, and the way they did it in in this game versus like X and Y, which the story was so bad in X and Y. Oh yeah, that was kind of rough. Weird tall guy. Dude. What was up with that? (laughs) I just, oh, I cringed every time anyone said anything in that game. I think despite some of the strange... Uh, translations and, and weird localizations in this game. I I think the story was handled much better. It was it was quirky and cute, and I liked the characters. I loved how I thought he was great. Yeah, the characters were really cool in this game. I really liked the uh, Guzma and the Yo Team Skull. Yo 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 yo. yo What's up, boy? I wish you could see my hand motions right now, everybody. Yo. <laughs> yeah, just in general, I really liked the 
each character immediately when you see them, you're like, I know what this guy's about. Uh, the Pokemon in general is pretty good about communicating with you what was up with each character you know like gladios or whatever you know he's an emo boy and he talks and it's like oh this guy is so full of angst and they like totally you know they acknowledge that they break the fourth wall and they're like yeah this guy's angsty boy we we know so a couple of uh, i pulled up my on my phone here a couple of things just some of my favorite bits of localization from this game uh kukui this is right after you you kind of meet him you get down to his lab and this is after you're already onto him. Like he's trying to hit on your mom, right? It's before you know he has a wife. You're pretty sure he's trying to he's trying to bed your mom. Uh, he's just really creepy. You get into his lab and, and you don't see what's going on. You're looking at his lab from the outside, and he's just exclaiming in this big text bubble, "Give it everything you got. My body is ready. Woo!" And you're like, "Okay, creepy man. I don't like that." I think that's more of a reference to to Reggie Pizume. My body is Reggie. I mean, obviously, but given the context, it's fucking weird. It's creepy. Okay, how about this one? Especially that Malo special. It's like a taste explosion in my mouth. That whole bit was just one huge double entendre. Oh, yeah. I don't know how they got away with that. So here's some stuff that makes no sense to me. Do you have a sense for why you seem rare? <laughs> no, sir, I do not. That sounds like the way we talk. <laughs> do you have a sense for why you seem rare? No, I have no sense. Do I seem rare to you? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, okay, my favorite one of all. Uh, some ace trainer talking to you. The highness of caliber to triumph while reacting to the feelings of your opponent. Hell yeah. Like, what? I think I, that communicates to me that this ace trainer is full of himself, and he's trying to say words, and they don't actually make sense. But, I mean, that's me giving that's me giving the, the translator the benefit of the doubt. There's there's a little bit of questionable translation stuff, but I think, in overall, there's a lot of really funny little bits. Like, when you run at a team's skull, the grunt A and grunt B, and they're like... You can have the dialogue option where you can choose to acknowledge that you remember them. Or you're like, no, I don't remember you guys. And they get all upset. They're like, no, it's because we introduced ourselves backwards. I'm Grunt B and he's Grunt A. I don't know. It's really self-aware to a point. They know who their target audience is. They know that 20-something-year-olds that grew up with the series are playing these games still. And in general, they do a good job. Moving on from Pokemon. Not really, though, because I'm about to jump into another Pokemon game here. Oh, my God. Which one? Pokemon Conquest for the Nintendo DS. I fucking love this game. It's a turn-based strategy RPG. Which you love. I mean, I'm, I'm a big Fire Emblem guy. And that's about it. And, well, that's about it. Well, I mean, did you play Tactics? Did you play Advance Wars? I played a little bit of Tactics, but... The, uh, what, Tactics Ogre? Those are just the games I think of when I think of like a grid-based, turn-based strategy RPG game. No, mostly uh, mostly Fire Emblem. Grew up playing some of those. I've only ever beaten one Fire Emblem game, but don't tell anybody that. You're telling literally everybody that by doing this. Oh, God. Well, no one's listening to this. Oh, whatever. Hope not. <laughs> I hope not. We're kidding. We hope you're listening. Listen. Okay. Listen. So, anyway, Pokemon Conquest. Uh, it has really interesting battle mechanics. Each warrior unit in the game is able to partner with one Pokemon at a time. Uh, and as they battle, they sort of improve their quote-unquote links, which is like a, the relationship with the Pokemon, essentially. Uh, each Pokemon only has one move, but every unique warrior in the game has their own like special move that will supplement their Pokemon. So you go into these battles with six six Pokemon, like a traditional Pokemon game, but the combat is obviously completely different. I think they did a, a really nice job taking the traditional Pokemon formula and meshing it with the turn-based mechanics. Uh, like You can still go into wild battles and catch new Pokemon by linking with them, so you're not limited to, to what you start with. I just said Pokemon like 900 times. 
one of the things I really love about it is that it's not, you know, overtly simple. It's it's just enough of a challenge. You know, Fire Emblem is like hardcore, right? Especially if you're playing on Lunatic or or higher difficulty. Pokemon Conquest was a game I could lay in bed for an hour and really just relax. You know, the music was great. And the combat was just challenging enough that I didn't feel like I was going through the motions, but it didn't stress me out. I wasn't resetting over and over. And the game is immensely replayable. Like, I, I put maybe 12 hours into the main storyline. I didn't try to 100% everything and get perfect links and, you know, get every unit, whatever. But uh, I took my time with it. Uh, but then once you beat the main storyline, there are like 32 or 36, like, post-game missions you go on. Uh, which ramps up the difficulty. It's kind of like a new game plus, but it's its own unique, you know, each kingdom has its own story, I think. And, you know, it's cool. I didn't get too terribly far in it, but the fact that there's so much content there without getting boring and repetitive, like that's just great. Yeah. It seems like a crossover that makes nothing but sense. Um, just that style of gameplay using your Pokemon is almost like the way you describe it. I imagine in my head, I'm thinking like, it's as if each Pokemon is a weapon that you can equip to different players in a way like different teammates yeah and then the fire emblem thing where you can only have so many different uh teammates uh during a round and that based on that you can level up your pokemon in certain ways and have a more rounded kind of team it makes a lot of sense and that was developed i think by the koei tecmo did uh nabunaga's ambition it's like a, it's that game but with the pokemon ip it's sort of how you know, there's Hyrule Warriors, which is Dynasty Warriors, but with Zelda characters, or Shin, uh, not Shin Megami Tensei, but Tokyo Mirage Sessions, which is Shin Megami Tensei with Fire Emblem characters. So that makes a lot of sense. I want to play it. I know you played it and liked it, and Mac played it, and I think he liked it too, so I will borrow that from you sometime if I can find time for it, you know? Yeah. One of the things I really enjoyed about it was that the level design, uh, it wasn't just flat, and it wasn't, you know, just here's a hill and here's some water, and traverse that, like, oh, so difficult, right? Like, Fire Emblem's mm-hmm. level designs, it's lacking if you think about it. It does what it needs to do. That game is mm-hmm. more about the mechanics and, and your team build and leveling up your, your individual guys and knowing the weaknesses of your, of your units versus who you're playing and and strategically placing your enemy. You know, it's it's a little more nuanced in this game. But this game, the level design is really great. Where there, there's some little puzzles that you have to figure out in different levels. It's very tiered where it's like you're hopping up multiple levels. Uh, so it's not so flat. It's you know it's a little little more depth to it, which you know I, I thought was really cool. This, yeah, that, that sounds really nice because terrain has always played uh, a part into Fire Emblem, but it's always been kind of a not as important element. Plus one defense if you're in the trees. You're like, oh, you you don't get hit as much if you're in the trees. These these barbarian men can climb the mountains, but if you're on a horse, they do not like the mountains. Like, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Like, no big deal. So that's a game. Definitely, I recommend checking it out. What's uh, what's next on your list, Holmes? Well, you mentioned earlier, but we both started Mother Three about the same time. But you being you and me being me, uh, you you didn't get very far, and I ended up blowing way past you and dumping a lot of time into it and really enjoying it. Uh, you got to chapter three out of eight chapters. I ended up, you know, beating it. We've both beaten Earthbound. Yeah. And this game, obviously, it's the sequel. It's Mother 3 to Mother 2. But it's it introduced enough mechanics for me to be interested in it as a separate entity. 
and the story i think like it was much more in the forefront oh yeah especially you know the first few chapters you're playing different characters you have different team layouts and they kind of mess with that a little bit in earthbound but this one goes a little bit more uh, more strongly into that i've really appreciated that i really gave me more context for the story let me more get more into the the characters themselves i don't know it's just these games i love the setting this game is a little bit less of the americana kind of 1960s vibe you're starting out in like this kind of podunk village town and you know you're this little kid and you're learning how to run from this dinosaur and like this is is a really weird kind of you know kind of things that the way they teach you and you're saving with frogs obviously and like you talk to animals and like i am a cow and if you talk to me i will say moo but i will talk to you because you're my friend god (laughs) like this cute little dialogue options who's translating that dialogue because it'll they'll say moo 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 and then in parentheses it'll be translated for you it's so kooky I don't know. I really like those games. The music is really fun, really nice and soothing. I don't know, man. Tearjerker ending. Watch out. Oh, well, spoiler alert. I'm hoping you get to see Hinawa again, but don't tell me anything. Don't even make facial expressions at me. I agree that the the story, I think, is, is much, much better. I know the story in Earthbound was sort of ancillary to, to the game. It was there. It was necessary, but it it was really minor. There wasn't a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the stuff like with Pooh, where you, when you just you play the level of Pooh, and there's a voice talking to you, and you climb to the top of the thing, and it's like, where is this coming from? This feels so out of place. Yeah, it didn't really, it didn't really, uh, didn't really hit home as much in Earthbound. But I think Mother Three takes everything that Earthbound wanted to accomplish and does it just a little bit better. And the pacing's, uh, I think, better. I think you don't have to worry too much about grinding in this. The Earthbound and Mother One, especially, was what much more, you know traditional rpg and the gameplay is more you know i gotta level up some more before i can fight this boss whereas in mother 3 it's more oh i have to you know try out different moves and uh use my my psi abilities more strategically yeah i'm enjoying it so far much more than i enjoyed earthbound when i played earthbound i felt like i felt like i should have liked the game way more than i did well, everyone talks about this game like it's a fucking masterpiece, and I thought it was really like it was really dated. And there are a lot of references that I thought were like, like okay, that's like wants to be smarter than it is. I think it just it was fine. Um, it was long. I did a lot of grinding because it was a game where I didn't want to have to like look things up when I played. So it was like you go and you die a lot trying to figure out what exactly. There's there's one move out of all. Your, I don't know how many moves you have got 30 moves at your disposal between four characters or whatever and items and everything there's one thing that'll work on this boss and you gotta figure it out and it was, it was tedious and so it, that made me grind i'm like well if i'm just a higher level i don't have to figure it out i can just go in guns blazing and it doesn't matter so the grind was there another three so far i haven't had to grind i've just been able to kind of go along enjoy the story i haven't got to play lucas yet who have i played i've played is it flint the dad and I played. I'm salsa right now. Duster. Duster. Which one was? was chapter which one two. was Duster? He was the thief. the thief. Yeah, yeah. You go into the castle and try to steal the the forbidden treasure that the, your old man wouldn't tell you. The, the shiny thing. You bring it back and he slaps you. What is this? The bad dad. <laughs> it's a great, good, a great aesthetic. You know, I I got the uh, Mother Three Fan Gamer Handbook, which I had bought the PDF version when I started playing the game because I thought that's such a great. Such a great piece. Like that's. I wish all guidebooks were made like that. You know, I, I mean, I collect, I collect old uh, video game guidebooks and strategy guides or whatever. And a lot of them are interesting to flip through. There's a lot of nostalgia there. 
uh, and they're they're just interesting. But this is like was so lovingly crafted. I stopped playing the game because I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, my girlfriend got it for me for Christmas. And I was like, I'm gonna wait till I get this book, right? Uh, because I want to go through it with the book and just like experience it together, you know. Like right now, I I just read through the first three chapters in the in the guidebook, catching up to where I was because I haven't played the game in five weeks. I'm like just a little refresher. We read through the book here, and it's like, ah, oh, man, it's just so satisfying. Yeah, I'm excited to get back into it. Yeah, lovingly put together. Just from what I've paged through myself in your in your copy, it seems like a really cool uh, guide to to read, not necessarily as instruction. But as like a companion piece, I really liked that. You know, that's what they did with the, they just put out the Earthbound one. And the Earthbound one is much less of a strategy guide. It's a fake tour guide, basically, mm-hmm. to Annette. And it's made to look like a tour guide. And so I thought that's very interesting. And like you had said, you know, this isn't for people playing the game for the first time. This is for like diehard fans to go through and, and, and kind of immerse themselves in this world a little bit. And so they do good work over there at Fan Gamer. Yeah, good on them. Uh, let's see. I got my list here. Back to the old list. Yeah, you got anything uh, more you can deep dive on, or are you kind of just getting to the point where you want to skim over some? So there are a couple things. I, I do want to mention, I put a lot of time into Witcher 3. I don't need to say too much about that. I haven't even beat the main story yet, because I, I, these games, I want to do every single side quest, and especially in a game like The Witcher, where they make every side quest feel like it matters, right? Like, they all, there are these stakes to everything you do, and there are these characters you meet that you care about, they're interesting, and they're nuanced. So I do every little thing in that game. And obviously, it gets a little repetitive, because it's like, okay, you meet these cool characters, but no, now you just follow your Witcher sense for half an hour, and then, you know, kill the baddie and whatever, so... It got a little tiresome, so I took a break. I went back to it after when it initially came out. I went back to it after about six months, restarted it, and I got to like, I'm in like the very end of the main story, or the main quest um, for the base game. You know, life happens, and I'm like, ah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And I dropped off and I haven't played it in like th- at least three months, if not longer. And so I feel like, oh, if I don't play it soon, I'm never going to beat it, let alone all the DLC, which I really want to get to. Yeah, you've got, you've got both of them, don't you? Or are there three? There are three. I, I don't have any of the DLC yet. Blood and Wine was this year, though, right? Blood and Wine, yeah. And Hearts of Stone was the first one that they put out last mm-hmm. year. So I put a lot of time into that. I really like The Witcher 3. Uh, it does, like, Skyrim's one of my favorite games ever. Witcher 3, I think, is objectively better in most ways. But it didn't grab me the same way. Like, I, I, I love the characters in The Witcher. I wish you had played the game just to get to know the characters. Very few video games can kind of nail that when it comes to a game, right? Yeah, and I listened to the, the audiobooks for the, the three that are actually like mainline stories oh yeah and uh yeah i thought the the story was in general uh, a good a good uh fantasy story i didn't blow the pants off me or anything but it was good as far as like a video game story and i, I think the books came first right oh yeah the books came first so that would make sense then why the the story for the game would be you know a bit above average in that regard i'll get back to that game maybe maybe i won't yeah maybe i'll eventually get around to actually picking it up and playing more than that first little tidbit I played, I think I got to my first card game, and that was it. Oh, Gwent. I love Gwent. After that, I was like, you yeah, know, well, whatever, I'll play this eventually. It looks really pretty, but... I, uh, dude, Gwent, that's one of the games I picked up. Uh, I'm, I'm in the beta right now for, for the Gwent card game. Mm-hmm. I think half my time in The Witcher was spent doing all the Gwent quests, mastering that and collecting all the cards. So satisfying. The game, the Gwent, a standalone game... Like really improves a lot of aspects and brings a little more strategy, a little more nuance. I think that's awesome. That's that's one of the things I did play. I can't wait for that full release so I can because I'm playing it on PC right now. I can't wait to get it on console so 
I can just kick back on the couch, uh, you know, play some online matches or whatever. Uh, looking at my list, uh, I played that Dragon Cancer, which was, I think, a really polarizing game for a lot of reasons. I know you you didn't play it, but like you saw at at the Game Awards, the developer won not best indie. What did he win? It was like I don't know. It was just showcasing games that were kind of had like a uh, a message to them, like a strong message. I think it might have been like best message or something like that. Because the other games were there was one that was like trying to be more ecologically, you know, aware stuff like that. So let me look at. I'm, I'm checking it out right. Game Awards Games for Impact. Yeah. Impact, yeah. Games for Change Award, uh, Change Award. They get the best gameplay, most innovative. So anyway, I played that. Uh, I thought it was a really good experience. It got me emotional at times, maybe angry for a few reasons, just like the story and them losing their son. And uh, I know a lot of people thought it was kind of a cheap way to get a game made and get notoriety. I, I for once, am a little less pessimistic about that. I think it was probably very cathartic for this guy to, to develop this game. I think maybe there were times where it was a little ham-fisted. Like his initial Twitter crusade, I think, was a little... Like, just let your game live, you know? But he was mm-hmm. like he was going on this campaign trying to get people to play it, and you know, I just was like, hey, back off a little bit. It's just kind of a weird situation all around. I'm glad he, he won, though, you know, at the Game Awards. Like, that was cool, and he got emotional up there talking. I know you and I disagree here. You think it's not a game, quote-unquote. Like, it's an experience, it's, it's media, it's entertainment, but it's not a game. I mean, yeah, it's, it's on that blurred line like you can't really specify it as anything but a game in one way but to me there's not really like gameplay so sure it's it's on that line right where you can't call that a movie you can't call it like what do you call that like it's interactive media for i mean that's what a game is so it is a game but to me it isn't so right i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fault it and be like it's not a game i'm not trying to like belittle it or anything it's not an experience that you care about yeah it's not something i would go out of my way to sure to play yeah uh that's probably not something i'll ever revisit i mean i doubt it i think it was a good experience for what it was and it was it was just interesting kind of getting that intimate with someone else's story like it was kind of bizarre you know, their audio clips and their you know it's like wow this is really personal you know yeah everything i heard about it seems like it's a very intimate like story and like the storytelling is that's I don't know. It's it's cool that it was done, and I appreciate uh, the Game Awards, you know, highlighting it and you know giving it the accolade that they thought it deserved. And you know, I appreciate that. And watching that speech definitely made me tear up. Yeah, like yeah, like that's that's like horrifying that people have to go through that. Yeah, you know. So there there are moments that were very visceral and sort of I was just like, man, like gut punch. How do you how do you make this, dude? Like this this isn't some this is your story. How do you, how do you how do you sit here and uh I, I don't know if I'd be able to do it. So yeah, it was a good experience. And I'm glad I'm glad he made it, like you said. Uh God man, what else did I play? You didn't play Stick of Truth this year, did you? Oh god, I did. Is that this year? <laughs> yeah. I got it on a, a sale and uh, I went through and beat that. I thought that was a fun little popcorn RPG. I hope that in the sequel they not necessarily make it more difficult, but add a little bit more depth. Because I just sort of blew through and like I discovered one mechanic that made every battle like I could cheese every battle. It didn't matter. Like I didn't have to level up or anything. I just oh, I can just go straight to the boss and beat him in one way. Which one was that? I just did bleed damage every time. Everybody oh. just bleed to death. Yeah. You know that that game. I thought you know I'm not a huge um, 
South Park fan. Like, I've watched it. I understand it. I watched, like, the first six seasons when I was younger. I binged those. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't have, like, any attachment to the IP at all. Like, every time it's on, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is fun. This is a funny show. But I don't go out of my way to, to, to watch it. Yeah. I think they did a really great job with it. I'm looking forward to the next one. It, it kind of reminded me of Paper Mario, right? Definitely, yeah. I love, I love RPGs with, like, not quick time events, but, like, action commands. Action commands, yeah. That active battle system kind of thing. Yeah, it keeps you more invested in the the combat while still having this, the turn-based, like, strategizing, oh, I gotta attack with this person first and then do this buff. And, like, I like the strategy. That's why I like turn-based strategies more than real-time strategies. Right. Yeah, so I thought that was great. I don't think there's much to say about it. It was like playing a really long episode of the show. I enjoyed the shit out of it. I almost 100%ed it. I, there were a, lot of, a couple things I didn't do, a couple things I didn't collect, but... Uh, and I didn't feel like I was like, oh, God, I'm going out of my way to have to do this. It was just fun exploring the world and talking to every single person and doing some of the weird... I mean, there's so many weird things, dude. Nazi baby fetus and, and like, the zombies. It was just so fucking weird, man. Yeah, it definitely... It 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 was a South Park game, you know? I'm excited for them to tackle uh, where they're doing superheroes next. Yeah, just lampoon that. That might be a game that I actually spend a full $60 on and buy it on release. Damn, dude. Yeah. So, anyway, w- uh, what's up next for you? Uh, for me, the one I really wanted to to shout out to is Hyperlight Drifter. Okay. Which I don't know if you saw any gameplay for that or had any interest in. I don't know anything about it. So, it's really... I mean, it's that kind of 8-bit, 16-bit style, which not necessarily like every game needs, but I think that it fits this game. It fits this game in that it's like a Zelda game, like the old 16-bit Zelda games, like Link to the, Link to the Past, where it's that kind of almost top-down view. Okay. And the way you're exploring and moving around the world, like it makes perfect sense for this to be that pixel art style. So instantly was drawn into that, both the gameplay and the the art style just the palette it's this really vibrant kind of neon style and the the character design is really cool and kind of the cool thing about it is that there's no dialogue in this game at all the only words you see on screen are just like button prompts and even then that's spare that's like used sparingly so i think you might not necessarily like this game because of how mechanics driven it is and it's very tight and it will punish you for like missing the timing on stuff but for me, that's something I'm a big fan of, and that grips like that grabs onto me. And this is a game that I, I think I beat it in a night, and I think I beat it in like eight hours. Like I played this game for eight hours, and I beat it, you know. So, but the soundtrack, it's Disaster Piece who did Fez. So the the just the sound design in general was just huge in that beautiful uh, chip tune kind of kind of style. And despite there not being any words, and the story being really like opaque and not you don't know what's going on really you just have your main character and he's like sick he's coughing and he has these like visions of these huge giant titanous beasts attacking him and killing him but he's not dead but like i don't know just the whole like ambiance of it it made me feel dread and like i was just it was it just made me feel something that was it was weird that it made me feel that way for a game that has no story technically huh 
That's interesting. So I don't know. It it was just it grabbed me so much, and like I heard about it, and I was like, you know, this is a game that I'm gonna like. And then I played it, and I was like, yeah, I really like that game. So is that something I should add to my Steam wish wish list? I don't know if you would like it though. That's the thing, because like the way I could describe it to you is that it's linked to the past, mixed with Dark Souls, and I think that's not a game that you would like necessarily i want you to like it. it's a game that i desperately wish you would enjoy but i could also <laughs> okay. see you like picking it up and be like i don't know nick hyped it up too much this is too opaque this is too ambivalent and like i don't know what's happening i don't know where to go because you can go like three different directions like it, you can go wherever you want and like oh it's i could see you just not liking it uh, that would that break my heart see i really it's weird because i love open world games but I don't like non-linear experiences. And when I say that, I mean, like, all my favorite open-world games, like playing Skyrim, right? Like, you can go in any direction and do anything you want to do, but everywhere you go, or any direction you walk in, will lead you to something else to do. When you, when you play a game like Dark Souls we were talking about, or, you know, even playing some older stuff, or like Link to, uh, Link to the Past, is like a, a pseudo-open world, where you're just dropped in this map and left to explore. And the thing is, is... It's not head in any direction, find something to do, enjoy yourself. It's, you can go anywhere, and we're not going to give you any direction, but there's only one place you can go right now, and only one thing you have to do right now. That's what I don't like. When you have multiple paths and multiple dead ends to get you to one place, that's tedious to me. Like, either let me explore and discover meaningful, impactful things on my own, or tell me where to go so I can get to the next objective and, and enjoy that. You know what I mean? When you frame it like that, I think then that you might enjoy this game more than uh, Dark Souls. Okay. Because, like, you start out, got this tutorial area, and then you get dropped into this, like, village kind of place, and then you can go either left, up, or right. And depending on which direction you go, you're going to, like, these different settings. So you go north, and there's, like, this mountain. It's, like, snowy outside. You've got, like, uh, these few types of enemies, and you're kind of just, like, going through rooms and... When you die, it quick loads you to the beginning of the room, which is nice. So the the punishment for dying is not as heavy as a Dark Souls game or a game that keeps track of your lives. But it is still like it's pretty difficult and you have to like learn the mechanics and get those like get your movement down and like time your dashes and your, your attacks. So it's like similar to Dark Souls in that aspect and that mechanically it's it's tight and you have to like learn when to attack and when not to because you can be locked into an animation so if you get interrupted then that kind of feels bad you don't want to be button mashing and i know you're a button masher i'm a masher you suffer from mashing (laughs) that sounds fucking terrible (laughs) yeah it's kind of gross but it's yeah it's open in that you can choose which direction you go first and it's not like linear in that aspect you know you should buy it you should get it on sale and I want you to play and, like, force yourself to play for more than, like, a couple hours. Is that... It's on Vita, right? I th- uh, I think it got canceled for Vita. Oh, really? Sure. Really? Oh, yeah, I would check into that. Now, if it's on Vita, I'd pick it up probably tonight. I know it's on PS4. Wasn't it free on PS4? Didn't it have a free month? Or... It might have been. I don't flag the games ever anymore. They're not usually worth flagging. That's too bad. Okay, Hyperlight Drifter Vita. We're about to find out right now. Bringing it to you live... Yeah, it's a it's a game that I think stylistically would fit well on the Vita, but I think the controls might be a little bit too it's it's reliant on both the bumpers and shoulder buttons, so I think that might be not necessarily the greatest with the back touchpad. 
but I don't know if you could customize that enough to be playable on the the Vita itself. Well, yeah, I got canceled for Vita and Wii U in September, so right bummer. With last game, the game I actually beat this year, I'm a little late to the party. Uh, I got an Xbox One last Christmas. So played Halo. That's pretty much all I played on all year. Uh, I've been a, more of a PlayStation and and Wii U boy this generation. Uh, but I I put in Sunset Overdrive. And I I adored this game. I think everything that they did in this game was executed almost flawlessly. There's probably not enough there, you know, to carry it on as a franchise necessarily. If they were to do a sequel, they're probably going to need to tweak the formula a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the gameplay itself is so arcadey. You know, you, got, you have these crazy weapons, you're out grinding around on rails and power lines and killing zombies and it's just like it's so vibrant and and comical and way over the top I like my favorite weapon the tn teddy just shoots teddy bears that explode crap like that it's just hilarious like there's i have there's one gun that shoots uh vinyl records like it like a discus you just like uh so it's it's quirky like that sounds like an insomniac game oh yeah uh but i just love the arcadey aspect it feels like a game like a modern version of a game that would have come out 15 years ago. Right, yeah, that's the vibe I definitely got. Like, you don't get 3D platformers that much anymore. And this game is pretty platformy. And, like, the, the action it, it it does incorporate is very 2000s. That's cool. That was that was a great era. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the platforming is really satisfying this game. The way you, you traverse the world and the abilities you unlock and the way you learn to traverse the world, like, it's just so satisfying. It reminded me of, like, playing, like, Infamous... Without it being self-serious, exactly. It wasn't so. I just I love that it didn't care. Like the, at the very beginning of the game, it just drops you in. You're being chased by like a giant zombie monster thing, and you have no idea like what's happening. Like just run, you're gonna die. Okay, and you slowly start to find out like the soda corporation, the soda is poisoning people and turning them into zombies. And it's like what? And it's just like totally. It's just way ridiculous. Um, the narrative is like you know. So it's for what it is. It's fine. I think they really wanted you to care about some of the characters, but they didn't do enough there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the very few games where I've I've played and didn't feel compelled to do any of the side quests. I, just, I was like, eh, I don't care. I'm enjoying the, the main story. The, um, there's a good sense of progression as you go, and I didn't want to like mess up that pacing by going and doing some fetch quest. Mm. So. I mean, I beat that in probably a little less than ten hours, and it was it was so enjoyable. Uh, I love how self aware it is. It's very meta, maybe to a fault. How like self referential it is at at times, but I mean, it just it was quirky and fun. I don't know if I told you. I think I did. So that game at the very end, right? Spoiler alert for for Sunset Overdrive if you haven't played it yet. Uh, at the very end of the game, you're fighting the boss, or you're, you're doing right before the boss, and. There's a bomb in a building that's going to go off. In the ending, you like you. There's a giant bottle of soda, and you beat it up so that you can like ride it into the building and <laughs> blow up the building so the bomb doesn't go off. I mean, of course. Like I was like, okay, that's that's cool, that's fun. Okay, like cool, good, that's fine. Well, then it's like your your main character dies, and it's like that's the end of the game. And the characters all come over and they lament the fact that you've sacrificed yourself to fucking save the world. And I'm like, okay credits roll and I'm like wow that was really unsatisfying I was a little bummed out right well then your avatar comes back from the dead and is like what the hell was that that's not how you had a video game or whatever and he turns back time and you you go back 
It starts over. You ride up. You explode the building, and the building turns into a giant tentacled fucking creature. And you're and so like the, the final boss battle is like you're jumping up and traversing to the top of the skyscraper. It's totally insane. It's fucking insane, dude. Oh, uh, anyway, you beat the boss, and it's really satisfying. At the very end, the thing explodes. He jumps off. He's right in front of the camera. In the in the background, you see this skyscraper exploding and the foreground he comes back into focus and he looks at the camera and I'm like I know what he's about to say right he's about to say now that's how you end a video game right right dude I swear to fucking god he says now that's and I was like what the hell my whole game froze up and the audio totally like like a machine gun dude totally froze up and wigged out and it scared the shit out of me it's like 4am my girlfriend's asleep and I'm like like this loud noise I'm like, what the hell's going on, man? Like my adrenaline's going. I come down a bit. I'm like, ha ha. Okay. All right, Insomniac, you funny fuckers. You fucking got me, right? Take him at the end of the game here. Okay, I get it. All right, now get on with the credits now. I'm ready to beat the game. No, it turns out my Xbox actually took a shit <laughs> at the very end. And when I realized this, I was like, you have to be kidding me. So I spent another hour beating the last boss. And I was like, that's like the perfect way to end that game. Like, this game has, like, been so meta the whole time and poking fun of itself, and it's like, that would have been the perfect way to end it had it been intentional. Like, it was even better not being intentional, you know what I mean? Mm. Just the serendipity of, like, that's how you end a video game, and it cuts off mid-sentence, and it's like, oh my god, that's how you fucking end it. That's my luck, dude. I love those uh, experiences where something messed up happens, but you think it's real. <laughs> oh, man, he, it got me for a second. It got me. I remember I tweeted out at Insomniac, and I'm like, eh, I thought you guys got me, but really, my life is just shit. Microsoft got me. <laughs> yeah, Microsoft got me. Oh, man. That's good. That's good stuff. I, I tried to get you to play it, but you were you're like, what's this fucking story? I don't care about the story. I just want to play. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that wasn't a, a game that I could just pick up and play while like a few other people are. I'm trying to hang out with people. Right. Fair enough. I, I got enough of it to understand, like, oh, yeah, this is a game I could I could sit down and play for a few hours a day. Right. Is that PC port ever coming? <sighs> I doubt it. Yeah, not going to happen. Unfortunately. Well, that's the end of my list. I mean, that's, that's not everything I beat, but some of the, the heavy hitters. And obviously, I put a lot of time into games like Rocket League and Destiny and Animal Crossing. So that those are just time sinks, you know? You never beat those games, do you? Right. Yeah, and uh, that was pretty much everything I poured, like either sizable time into or finished. Uh, I wanted to give a little shout out to a few other games that I picked up and played a little bit, but uh, didn't necessarily like beat or I want to play more this year and like get back to. I uh, wanted to uh, mention Cave Story, which is a game I played when it was originally like put out, what, 2004, 2005? Like, that was my first indie game I've ever played. And it's well-known as being a kind of groundbreaking in that aspect. Um, I want, I want to play more Owlboy that came out. It was a 10 year development cycle, kind of a God, kind of a Cinderella story, I guess that, you know, indie game, very, uh, ambitious, very beautiful looking, very wonderful sound design. I, I enjoyed the gameplay from what I have played of it, but I need to actually play it more. Isn't that a, like a twin stick shooter? Uh, a little bit. I think that there's a little bit more to it than that. Kind of a shmuppy, kind of Kirby vibes. Okay. Not 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 a shmup. More of like 
you know, you're flying around kind of a, a low intensity uh, platformer, not really platforming, but flying around. But okay. you also have to do puzzles and that kind of stuff. Also wanted to mention Momodora Reverie Under the Moonlight. It's a little indie game on Steam. Uh, I don't think I think it might actually be ported to PS4, Xbox One soonish. I think I saw that mentioned. It is a side scroller 2D uh, combat platformer, kind of reminiscent to Castlevania or you know Metroid in that aspect. That sounds kind complicated. Re- it's really good looking. It's got tight mechanics. Uh, kind of just throws you in. But I, I've enjoyed what I have played. I want to play more. I want to beat it, actually. I want to see what else it introduces as far as enemies and bosses. Uh, I also bought Doom last year, which uh, a lot of people have talked about. It's a very good shooter game. Seems very seems very tight mechanically from what I have played. Very fast-paced. I enjoy that. Uh, I got Undertale, which people also very highly talked about as a kind of post earthbound kind of kind of game people who played earthbound would probably enjoy undertale from what i've heard and from what i've played i have enjoyed the uh the the characters and the 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 gameplay just the the combat is not necessarily combat it's like mini games in like an rpg and you don't have to kill your enemies you can make friends with them that's kind of cute in a way i want to beat that also got luigi's mansion dark moon for 3ds as a as a game from the Select series, I got that in Animal Crossing. And from what I've played of that, I've really enjoyed it. has the same kind of gameplay as the original from GameCube, but it's a little bit more segmented. So you can go through and play a specific level, kind of, and try and get a better score, get a better time, get more uh, more coins, which I think unlock different upgrades to your, your what is it, Poltergust? Poltergust, your, your little, oh, your little vacuum cleaner that's, like, sucking up ghosts. Dude. A-plus Nintendo punnage right there, dude. Oh, yeah. So, uh, in EGAD, and instead of your Game Boy Horror, you have a, like, a DS horror th- kind of thing. I don't know. It's, it's cute. I really like those games. Um, and then also, last shout-out to Titan Souls, which was definitely the PS Plus uh, game this month in January. And that's kind of a, kind of similar to Shadow of the Colossus Boss Rush kind of game, but it's a top-down 2D game. And it's uh, just movement and then one button. And your button shoots a, a arrow. And then you can hold the button to make the arrow come back. So it's just you're fighting these bosses and avoiding being killed. And it's, it's got a cool gameplay loop. And I like the aesthetic of it. And the music's kind of cool. So I want to actually get through and beat that. Because that's a challenging game. And I like to be challenged. Hell yeah. Dude, that was a busy year for us. Yeah. Game-wise. A lot more games than I'm used to. Yeah. This is a little more uh, informal conversation, you know? A little bullshitting back and forth. That's how these are all going to be. These aren't going to be formal. It's good to preface that at the at the very end. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, that's what this is. <laughs> As been. you can tell. Yeah, no big deal. Thanks for listening, everybody. All three of you. We appreciate it. Uh, leave a comment down below if you're on YouTube. Leave us a Leave us a review. If you're on iTunes right now, like, share, and subscribe. <laughs> like, share, and subscribe. Yeah. No. Uh, let us know what you think. You know, we're gonna be keeping these coming. Like I said, uh, last pod, at least weekly, hopefully bi-weekly. Uh, especially this next next couple weeks, there's gonna be a lot to talk about, uh, and leading up to the Switch's release. So, when you say bi-weekly, I think every other week. Oh no, it, it, bi-weekly can mean every other week or twice a week. 
I don't like that. No, I don't like that that means two things it, that are very different. It's it's very confusing, isn't it? Yeah, it's so. like bisect and dissect. Anyway. It's like dearth and bevy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, a little bit like that. Did we explain that on our first pod? Oh, I hope we didn't. Oh, I, want that keep, I want this to stay an inside joke. Don't make it an outside joke. It's too dumb for other people to, to find amusing. Uh, we're idiots. That's all you need to know. This has been the Council Crusade Podcast. Yeah, we definitely didn't talk about Peter Molyneux, so that's good. Ciao. We kept we kept to our word. Anyway, Fable, that's a game I definitely didn't God play last damn year. damn you son of a bitch. Now we're, you just made liars out of us. And we're jinxed forever. Well, you're jinxed because you did it. I didn't talk about it. Cursed. You're cursed. Anyway, this has been the Console Crusade Podcast. It's been good. It's been real. We'll see you next time. You'll hear us next time. We won't see you. I still see you. Okay, Scott.